I, um, I first want to assure you that I, I do have a text, something out of the scriptures, but I'm not going to read it right now. Um, I'm going to save it for later on as, as we move in deeper into the sermon, so bear with me. But um, if you did bring a Bible with you this morning, this might be a good time to uh, open it to Mark chapter 14. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, you might want to check the, the, the pew backs. There might be a Bible in there that you could have or that you could look at. Um, several years ago, we bought about 300 of those Bibles and we scattered them in the pews and we told people, if you don't own a Bible and, and uh, you want to study one, just take ours, consider it a gift. And, and they took us up on it. So, uh, so we, we don't have two or 300 more out there, but you might be able to find one. Hopefully you'll be able to be within reach of, um, of some kind of Bible. Guys, um, one of the frequent um, admonitions that is uh, directed at us Christians is a call for us to think. I, I guess my favorite one is the one that's in 1 Peter 1 where Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, which is nothing more than flowery language calling us to think. There's one in Isaiah 1 where uh, Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Uh, there is one in, in Romans where Paul says, uh, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then frequently you find the word like consider or reckon. All of this is just, a, um, it's just the, the Scripture's way of admonishing us, calling us to think. Now, uh, unfortunately, the, there is a misperception in the non-Christian world as to um, their perception is that we Christians, we don't think. There was, a, there was an article in the Washington Post several years ago that was describing Christians, and it described us this way, that we were uh, poor, uh, uneducated, unintelligent, and easily led. We're just kind of, you know, knuckle-dragging lemmings. You know what a lemming is, don't you? Uh, not lemons, lemming. You know what a lemming is? It's a rodent. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little mouse-like creature that are known for their mass migrations and oftentimes in, into mass drownings. So, so the picture of us Christians is that we're a bunch of rodents following some kind of pied piper oftentimes into our own destruction. Part of that, or much of that, is, is rather comical to me. But there is one criticism that is often leveled at us Christians, and, and it really gets under my skin. Um, the the, the uh, criticism is that we Christians have committed intellectual suicide. That we Christians, you, you Christians, you just believe. I mean, you never do the... The, the arduous work of thinking through things. You never do any kind of analytical or critical thought. You just believe. You know, um, at the same time, I'm somewhat sympathetic to that criticism because I think some of it's true. Uh, I read a very striking example of that this weekend uh, or this week, um, and it happened in a Christian high school where the teacher in the classroom got in front of his class, and he went to one side of the blackboard or chalkboard, I guess they have those things still, but he drew a picture of a heart 
on one side of the blackboard. And then he went to the, uh, the, the other side of the blackboard and he drew the picture of a brain. And, and then he said this, the heart is what we use for religion, while the brain is what we use for science. You know, guys, um, I, I think I know what he's trying to get at. I mean, indeed, God is after our hearts. But God goes through the brain to grab our hearts. I'm afraid some of his students have made their way into the church because so often people come to, to a Christian worship service and they, and they just kind of shift their brains into neutral. Um, and they just endure this hour of religious duty, never, never engaging intellectually, never thinking through, never, never, never really doing the hard work of, of thinking. You know, guys, when, when I do a funeral, one of the things that I try to do in my effort to comfort the family, I try to get the family to think through the implications of the things that we say that we believe. Now, guys, this is not a funeral. <laughs> In fact, um, quite to the contrary. This is not a memorial of someone who's died. This is a celebration of one who's resurrected. But I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to try to get you to follow me as we think as we think through some of the implications of things that we hold dear, things that we say we believe, okay? So here's step one. It's, um, it's the beginning of my text. It's, um, if you can turn and find um, Mark 14, I want to read you three verses, um, verses 60, 61, and 62 out of Mark 14. So you follow as I, as I read you those three verses. But before I read them, uh, let me just tell you that Mark 14 is describing the last night of Jesus' life. Uh, in, on a, in a matter of hours, Jesus will be crucified. Um, so he has been betrayed, he has been arrested, and now he is standing trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And in the midst of his being on trial, the high priest addresses him. Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is, these, what is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, guys, do you see what's just happened here? A question has been put to Jesus, who was on trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin, from the high priest. He's the top dog. And he has put a question to Jesus. All right, you've, uh, you, you've been silent here for too long. I, I just want to ask you just point blank. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? 
And Jesus says, Yep, I am. I am the one to whom all of the Old Testament prophecies point. I am the very fulfillment of all of the Old Testament types. In fact, not only that, in a matter of a, I don't know, a few years, you, Mr. High Priest, you're going to be standing before God, and guess who's going to be seated at his right hand? That would be me. And then I'll be coming uh, in my own glory in my, in my second coming. Whoa! Oh my goodness. Do you know on another occasion, Jesus said this? He said, um, He who hath seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. Oh my goodness. Did you get that? Are you thinking? He who has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. And then he, in John 5, he says, and I've got five, I've got four witnesses as to the accuracy and the truth of my claims. I've got Moses, I've got the entire Old Testament, I've got John the Baptist, and then there are my miracles. My miracles, which you don't deny, Mr. High Priest man, that, that I did them, but you've never been able to explain them. And by the way, just throw this in as another witness as to the accuracy of my claims. Um, my life. What have you seen about my life? Huh? What is it about my life uh, that interests you? Is there something very odd or crazy? What, what, what is it? Um, now, ladies and gentlemen, in the face of all of that, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Are you the Messiah? Yep, I am. i got four witnesses that will prove it. In the face of all that, in the face of all these claims, and they are some big ones, I want to ask you this. Who said that? You've got a couple of options. He is either a liar... Or he's a lunatic, he's deranged, or he is the one who is the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy, which would mean that his answer in verse 62 is the truth. Now, guys, um, tell me this. Uh, based on what you may know about Jesus Christ, and it may be just a little bit, maybe a spoonful, that's okay. Um, based on the little that you know about Jesus Christ, does it allow you to come to the conclusion that he is a liar? Well, no, no, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever caught him in a lie. I don't, I don't think that's true. Okay. Does the little that you know about Jesus of Nazareth, does it allow you to come to the conclusion that he's a lunatic? I mean, is his behavior consistent with lunacy? Of, of all the, the lunatics that you've ever known, does he act like them? Well, no, um, I don't think he's a lunatic. <laughs> I, hardly, I hardly think he's a lunatic. Okay. 
then who is he? Ah, uh, I see what you're doing, Dr. Young. <laughs> but you're not going to trap me. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm, I'm way too smart for you, buddy. Um, uh, because uh, you just gave us uh, the three options, but I think there's a fourth option. Uh, there's a fourth option, and it's my, it's my option. It's the one that, that, that I choose because uh, I don't think he's a liar. No, no, no. I don't think he's a lunatic. Uh-uh-uh. I don't think he's either one of those things. But here's what I think. And you didn't mention this one. Don't think that's really fair on your part, Dr. Young, because here, here is another option. I believe that Jesus is just a good moral teacher. Just a good moral man. <laughs> really, do you, do you really believe that? Do you believe that a good moral man would say to people, knowing that he was a man, go out and die for me? Hey, by the way, you know, we just got back from Rome. Did you know that Rome, that Nero lined the streets of Rome uh, uh, with the bodies of uh, impaled Christians, covered them with pitch and just used them as street lamps? Did you know that? Do you think a good moral man would lead people and say, you go out and die like that and that'll be a good thing. If he's only a man, I knew he was a man. sound like a good moral man to you okay then who is he now before you answer that let let me let me show you the second step in my text this morning that was step one let's let's move on to step two it's back here in um in mark chapter 14 so you can look again and this time it's in verses 27 and 28 and by the way, verses 27 and 28 were just were verses or, or statements that he made just hours before he made the ones in verse 62, okay? So 27 and 28 just takes place a couple hours before what I've already read you, all right? He says this in verse 27 and 28. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Read on. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Now, guys, just hours before he said this thing over here in verse 62, when he was asked if he was the, uh, the Christ, and he said, well, yeah, I sure am. Just hours before that, he said this. And here's what he says. You know, this is going to be a bad night, and they're going to strike the shepherd, which is me, and all the sheep are going to be scattered. And by the way, after I have been raised, and he says it as if it's a foregone conclusion, he, uh, he says, when, I, when I've been raised, uh, meet me in Galilee. So, does he rise from the dead? I would suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that your answer to that question depends on, in large part, on how, on what you concluded about verse 62 in step one. What do you, what, what do you, how do you answer this verse 62, this enormous claim of his? How do you answer, because if you answer that one, that he's not a lunatic or Lord, just a good moral teacher, but he is the Lord... Then you come over here and you hear this in verse 28 about he's going to rise again from the dead. Depending on how you concluded verse 62, 
I mean, my goodness, resurrection is a piece of cake. But, if after reviewing his words and, you know, trying to understand them and his, and his works and taking a look at his life, if after doing that, you can conclude that you are dealing with a liar or a lunatic, then you can dismiss this verse 28. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just nutso, and this, all this Easter hullabaloo is, is a bunch of nonsense, and, and all we're doing is having uh, a celebration of an ode to spring. But, if you answered verse 62, that he's not a liar, that he's not a lunatic, and he's not a good moral teacher. But he is what he claims to be in verse 6. If you, if you believe that, then you've got to look at verse 28 and simply say, why, that's a, that's a prediction. Um, and by the way, do we have any um, corroborative, uh, historical uh, verifiable evidences that he really did show up in Galilee after he had been crucified and buried? Well, in fact, we do. So, um, I want to ask you again, who said that? Who made this matter-of-fact claim in verse 28 after i am been raised again? Who, who, who said that? Was it a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? Because, ladies and gentlemen, I have to point out that all indicators, historically, verifiably, point in the direction that indeed this person was crucified, he was buried, and he showed up in Galilee. Let me show you one more. This is not in Mark 14, so you can just stay there if you like. This is in John 14. It's just one verse. Um, it seems rather complicated on its surface, but it's not. This is John 14, 19. He says this, uh, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. Now, if that's confusing, let me just explain. He says, in a little while I'm going to die, and the world's not going to see me anymore. But you're going to see me, because I'm going to be resurrected. And then he says, Because I live, you will live also. Holy moly. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a promise of enormous proportions. It's a prediction about your future whereabouts. But again, who made that promise? Well, he's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. It all depends on what you concluded about step one and step two, verse 62 and verse 28. If in steps one and two you have concluded that he is Lord, then my friend, what can you then conclude about your death and afterlife? You know, he said, because I live, you will live also. 
Now, depending on who you concluded that he is based on verse 62, then that's going to have some very extraordinary implications about your eternity. So, if you say that that is a true answer in verse 62, then this promise over here in Mark 14 about you living also because he delivered. What, what, what are we then to, what does that imply? Or, if you conclude that he is a liar or a lunatic, what must you then conclude about your eternity? Now, guys, um, what I've just done in these last 15 minutes is just try to think through some of the implications of things that we find, some claims that Jesus makes in the New Testament, and think through uh, the implications of them. Uh, I'm not in any way saying that you all agree with me or that you all believe the same things I do. I'm just trying to show you what happens as we, we find a claim, find a promise, and we tease it out and the implications to where it, or where it leads us. Very honestly, guys, my real design in this little section of my sermon is to, is to, uh, to rebut the argument that I have committed intellectual suicide. The charge that we Christians, we just believe, that's not so. Oh, I believe, all right, but I don't just believe. I think through the claims that Jesus makes and tease out the implications thereof. Now, I want to turn the tables because I have a challenge for you in the unbelieving world. Now it's your turn to think. Um, I want to suggest, with all due respect, I want to suggest that the ones who are guilty of not thinking is is the non-christian audience and i and i and i realize there's not many of you out there in this room um but to the world at large or even the convention that is downtown in uh the city of memphis this weekend about uh, atheism etc cetera, etc cetera. uh to them i would say i or to you i would say i just want to ask you to do what you've asked me to do you ask me to think through, and so I'm going to ask you to think through the implications of what you believe. Um, you believe, or you don't believe, in the existence of a personal God. So what are the implications of that? What is the implication of the position that says, I don't believe in the existence of a personal God. Um, what do you, as a non-Christian, actually believe about your universe, one where there is no existence of a personal God? Let's talk about some of the implications of what you believe. 
I want to list you four. First of all, here's an implication. There's far more than four, but just four that we can do rather quickly. Um, here's number one. For you who believe there's no existence of a personal God, there is no such thing as love. What? Well, I don't believe that, Dr. Young. Yes, you do. If there is no God who created you, then you are nothing more than a, than a combination of time plus chance plus methane gas. Thus, love is nothing more than a, than a chemical reaction produced by certain synapses firing off in your brain in certain ways. Uh, love is a chemical. Love is, the emotions of love are just an illusion that have helped your ancestors to survive. You're an advanced animal with animal appetites, having evolved certain chemicals that serve the purpose of enlarging the human population. So, all of this woundedness about being rejected or going through a horribly ugly divorce or perhaps even the exhilaration of, of finding that special someone, that's all chemicals. And, and what does love have to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Tina Turner got that. And, and maybe, maybe one day we'll find a pill um, that when you're going through a particularly hard breakup, that we can help you control all of those chemicals. And we can just give you a chemical, a, a pill, and, and, and all of those unfortunate emotions will just go away because they're all chemicals. My friend, I'm just, I'm just teasing out the implications of what you believe. Here's secondly, um, the main purpose of your existence is to become fertilizer in the grand circle of life. Oh, how dignified. Um, this life is all there is. There is no God, and you, 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 you end up fertilizer. Um, well, I don't believe that, Dr. Young. Yes, you do. There is no God. There is no afterlife, and when you die, that's it. So when you die, you rot and you become fertilizer for other living plants that grow healthy off of you, which in turn feed higher life forms. Congratulations. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't like that kind of talk, Dr. Young. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to offend. I'm simply trying to tease out the implications of what you believe. Here's the third one. Um, why have you wasted so much time and so much money over concerns for social justice? Like human rights and, and protection of the, of the vulnerable and the poor and the orphan and the widows and the, the multifaceted world of the special needs. Forget them! It's the strong that survive. You say, you believe in the survival of the fittest. So if the rich and the powerful oppress the weak... That's just the way it's supposed to be. Human dignity means nothing. Survival means everything. Well, I don't believe that, Dr. Young. Yes, you do. If you have no personal God who has created you and has given you some kind of moral instructions. 
Here's a fourth implication, speaking of moral instructions. Not only do I believe, or you believe, I don't believe it, but you believe that social justice is a waste of your time, and I don't give one whit about social justice. In fact, I don't believe in justice at all. Because there is no God, there is no lawgiver or law. All laws are just social constructs. Um, there's no one before whom I'm going to have to stand and give an account of my life. So I am a law unto myself. And nobody's going to tell me what's right or wrong. So whatever is right for me is right. By the way, that's a very popular position. Very widely held. Very, very logical, I might add. Unfortunately, it has created a moral quagmire. Well, Dr. Young, I mean, I mean, if you, if, you, if, you, if you think about my position like that, then, you know, that would just be depressing. So I don't, I, don't, I don't try to think about it. You know, I just, I just live one day at a time, and I just move from one party to the next party. I, I, I just go from one short-term goal to the next short-term goal. I, I, I don't like to think about the, the implications of what I believe. You don't? Then I would say, ladies and gentlemen, that that would, that would strike me as one who is having, who has committed intellectual suicide. We Christians, we love to think through the claims of Christ and the implications of them. We, we love to think about what Jesus has promised us. Let me tell you about those. We believe that God made the world to be a perfect paradise. Sin entered and, and ruined everything. But God in the person of Jesus Christ has visited planet earth and he at great personal expense to himself has paid the infinite cost for our sin on a cross. And then he resurrected from the dead. And now we as his people await his return when he is going to set everything right. We have nothing to fear and we have everything to anticipate. So whatever happens to us, it will be okay eventually. Um, there is no such thing as a tragedy for a Christian. I didn't say there was no such thing as pain. Uh, we have plenty of pain and when we're in pain, we want less of it. But when God sends that pain, I want it. We die, but we are raised like our Savior promised us. And the worst thing, death, becomes the best thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all that were true? It is. But you best not take my word for it. No, wait just a second, Doctor. I mean, I, before you quit up there, I, I, I got one more. I got, I got one more complaint with what you said. Um, see, because I, I get it. Um, I, I, I've been thinking with you, Doctor Young, <laughs> and um, and what you're describing is is atheism, and I'm no atheist. Oh no, 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 no! I'm not an atheist. I, I believe in God. I just don't get excited about all that. Okay, let's think about that. So what you're saying to me, my friend, is you're saying that your position is, is not one of atheism. Your position is just one of practical atheism. No obedience of God, no, 
no service to God, no, no following of Him, no, no excitement about Him. So if I understand you, you believe in a God that is not worth serving, that is not worth obeying, and is not worth following, and is not worth any special excitement. And with all due respect, my friend, you call that belief in God? You believe in a God who exerts no influence over you? My friend, that's not God. That's a vain imagination. And you made that God up, and that God doesn't exist. My dear friend, think about what you've said. That you believe in a God who exerts no influence over you. Tell me, how sane does that sound to you? May I offer you what I think is exquisite sanity? It's a devotion to a living Christ who died in my place for my sin and then he resurrected from the dead and promises me because he lives I will live also my dear friend that is not only intelligent that is utterly life-changing You think about that. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, bring to life that which is spiritually dead, that you will exchange hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, that people might not only hear what's been said, but it might be used by you to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, Oh, God, thank you for all of the wonderful promises that are ours in Christ Jesus. And I pray that we will live like we believe those promises. We commit ourselves to that, and we do so in Jesus' name.